Good morning. If you are joined since the beginning of the service, I just want to say good morning to you again. And uh, it's a real privilege again to share God's word with you. I've been spending a lot of time lately, a lot of time thinking about getting back into the building. Um, the things that need doing to be able to get back into the building, all the, the building work and the flooring, um, the decorating. And not just that, thinking about things like, you know, the timeline of when we go back. Um, what should we preach on? How will people be feeling? What do people need to know about? The COVID rules. Uh, what can we do? What can't we do? Um, when we're preaching, you know, what do people really need to hear right now? How are people feeling? And what does God want to say to them? A lot of these things have been going around in my mind. You know, how do we let our neighbours know that the church is open again? When should we do that? All these sorts of plans have been going around in my mind as I've been thinking about um, going back into our building. Things like... Um, what we have on our walls, you know, as we start to decorate, there's been a lot going on uh, to make the place clean and tidy, but we also want to get things on our walls to communicate the gospel and to communicate um, who we are. How do we do that and get everyone involved? All these different plans that have been going on in my mind at the moment as we face, uh, for me, in leading the church, one of the biggest um, kind of occasions or moments in the life of my leadership of, of returning from uh, 18 months of being online. I don't know what you're like. I don't know what you're like in terms of how you plan things, how you work out what's going to happen. I don't know if you are much of a planner. Maybe think about um, a task or a project or a, um, a special occasion or a challenge that you faced. How much do you like to plan? Maybe you're booking a holiday. I wonder how much you really want to know. When you go to book a holiday, how much do you want to know about the place you're staying in? How much do you plan in advance? What are you going to do on your holiday? What will you do each day? Or how are you going to get there? Or what, uh, if it's a, like an accommodation, we often go to Wales and have a, a cottage. Has it got everything we need there? Do we need to take towels or not? And this sort of things. I wonder if you think about um, kind of how much of that planning do you do when you're thinking about something like that? Or maybe if you're going to buy... Uh, something big like a car or even a house or even just a rental agreement for a house how much do you want to know in advance how much do you want to know do you just go blind and just buy something I doubt you do I suspect that you want to know a bit you want to know if it's a car the the history of the car you want to maybe do some sort of credit check or if it's a house you want a survey uh, and then you start thinking about how you're going to decorate it and what you're going to take in these things that go through our mind when we plan things if you're going on a journey, do you just trust the sat-nav or do you want to look in advance and go, here's how we're going to get there, how long is it going to take? Do you get what I'm saying? That we all have a different level of um, appetite for how much we want to plan, how much we want to know in advance the plan. And deep down, I think there's a planner inside all of us. No matter how, whether you're a meticulous planner or you just like to know some of the details, I don't think any of us really want to go without a plan. We want to have some sense of a plan because un uh, uncertainty is unsettling. You know, when we don't know some things, I mean, maybe you trust it to someone else and they've got it all planned and they've got it sorted. But when nobody's got the plan, it can be quite unsettling. And it's not just about projects and holidays and purchases uh, but it's about life. It's about life. It's about, you know, do, where, where are things going? And, and particularly, I think about the life in a church. We like to have a bit or maybe a lot of a plan. And if you've been a Christian for any time, you might have already discovered that God doesn't seem to like to give us 
much details about the plan. He doesn't. It doesn't seem to be his nature to lay out the plan all in front of us. And so I find us reassure ourselves with certain scriptures that we try and anchor to in the absence of knowing what the plan is. We might think about Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you a future and a hope, plans for good and not for evil. You know, that's a reassuring thing that we say, well, I don't know what the plan is, but God says, for I know the plans. Or you might encourage yourself with that uh, another uh, common scripture from Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called, in, called according to his purposes. That reassurance this is like, I don't know where this is all going. I don't know what the plan is. I don't know what's happening. But I know that it all works together for good. And when it comes to God sharing his plan, he does seem to hold back. He does seem to hold back. And just think through the Bible, think through characters in the Bible. It's not just your experience, you're not the only one. God seems to do this all the way through certain characters in the Bible. You know, God tells Noah to build an ark. He gives him details of, of the ark to build, but he doesn't tell him what's going to happen. He doesn't say you're going to be at sea for 40 days, it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights, and then you're going to be at sea. And he just says, this is what I want you to do. And then the plan seems to be held by God and not given out to Noah to know what's going to happen. Famously, Abram, the father of faith, Abraham, when he was told to go, God said, I want you to go to a city that I've got in store for you. Leave the land where you're on, go to the place that I've got in store for you. And that was it. That was all that God told him. He didn't have anything greater in the details of a plan. You know, Joseph uh, had these visions, these dreams of, of what a future might look like, that his family would bow down to him. And so he had some sense of the future, but no sense of a plan. He didn't know at all that he would be sold into slavery, or that he'd be wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife, that he'd be forgotten in a prison. He didn't know the plan that was coming up. And Moses, Moses was, was told to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. But God didn't say to him, this is the plan, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be wandering in the wilderness or Pharaoh's going to say no nine times and on the tenth time we'll let you go. He didn't know all the details. And this message today is to encourage you and to encourage me in the midst of a world where God does not reveal his plans. It's to encourage us to take the first step. That's the message for today, and it's part of this three-part series I've been preaching as we've been working through what God spoke to our church over the years. And the first message I preached on week one about the provision in the house was a message from over 25 years ago. It was about 26 years ago. Something like that, you know, a long time ago God spoke that word. And then the message last week about repairers of the breach was all about when we came to the craze and God saying, I've called you here for a purpose. And the message today that I'm preaching, which again is, is, a, is a, um, a refresh, a reboot of a sermon I preached six years ago. And it wasn't then a, a refresh then, it was the first time I preached that message. It was a word that I felt God was giving us. And this was back in January 2015. January 2015, we'd done a, a three-week series and I'd preached through the, the um, answers in the house, the provisions in the house, the repairs of the breach, and then week three, was what did I think God was saying for us in January 2015? Well, I don't know if you know your timeline of the church, but January 2015 was the beginning of the year that I, in September, would become the pastor of the church. And in January, I didn't know that. 
Um, I knew that God was calling me to that. I knew that Norm was going to retire at some point and that we would uh, hopefully hand over, but there wasn't, I didn't know the timeline. And so when I preached this message in January, I didn't know that by September 2015 that I would be leading the church. And so I listened again to this sermon. I've got the, you know, most of the church sermons I've got on a on recording somewhere, either digitally or on a tape somewhere. This is what I've got on a on a hard drive. So I listened to this sermon. I listened to this message again, and and I listened to it through the eyes of someone who's now six years later since leading the church. And uh, I didn't know then what I know now about leading a church. I didn't know then what I know now about a global pandemic that would come along. I didn't know then. What I know now about, you know, changes in our church, comings and goings and challenges, ups and downs. I didn't know those things. I didn't know what the plan was and what was in front of me. But I knew that God was saying to take the first step. Not just for me personally, but it was a message for us as a church. That it would be part of our DNA, part of who we are. It was what God was speaking to us about saying, I want you to be a people who take the first step. You might not know the plans, you might not see it all, but I want you to step in to what I have for you. And it was a message that I felt God was saying to us as a church uh, in 2015, just over six years ago. And it's a message that I believe God is speaking again to us today and keeping that alive and keeping that fresh with us. And it's a message that I really believe we need to hear right now. And it comes from a passage in Joshua. Uh, It comes from a passage in Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Let me read you this story from Joshua chapter 3. You want to find that in your Bibles, you can. And it's this story which actually runs a parallel. It's like a parallel story to the story of Moses taking the children of Israel through the Red Sea. And in this story, we get to hear about Joshua taking the children of Israel through the River Jordan. When they left Egypt to go into the wilderness, they passed through the Red Sea. When they left the wilderness to move into the Promised Land, they passed through the River Jordan. And this is what we read. And I'm going to read this actually in little bits of chunks, little little parts of this, and just talk about it. This is what it says in, in, in verse 1. It starts, it says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before before they passed over at the end of three days the officers went through the camp and commanded the people as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the lord your god being carried by the levitical priests then you shall set out from your place and follow it yet there shall be a distance between you and it about two thousand cubits in length do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Let me just pause. As this story starts in Joshua 3, there's this sense and this word in what's being said that's like, don't assume it will be like it was before. This is a people who famously remembered the way that God rescued them through the Red Sea. And again, they're facing a water, expanse of water they need to get through. And the message they're starting to hear is don't assume that just like God moved that way, that he would do that this way again. This is going to be different. Things are going to be different this time. God's going to move in a different way. The circumstances were different. When they reached the Red Sea last time, they were running from battle. They were running from an enemy. And 
This time they're moving into battle, they're moving to face an enemy. When they face the Red Sea before, the Egyptian armies follow them behind, chasing them. Now they have no enemy chasing them, but they are looking to move into a land that God has given them. There's a different mentality going on. They didn't have to go through the water because of fear. Last time they faced the Red Sea and it's like, where are we going to go? We've got this army behind us, this Egyptian people who are going to come and kill us or drag us back into captivity. And in fear they faced this water that God miraculously parted for them. They're not facing that in fear this time. They're facing the water, the River Jordan, because they're looking for their inheritance. In the first time, it was different. Moses was there and all he had was his staff. The staff that God had given Moses saying, this will manifest my power. But now, having been 40 years in the wilderness, they have the Ark of the Covenant. They have the presence of God, the power of God in this place. And they've not passed this way before. That's what you read in this verse 4. It says, you need to watch where the ark is going because you've not done this before. You've not been this way before. It's not going to be like you think it is. Let's carry on in verse 5. It says, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin, sorry, I've missed that bit. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, today I'll begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I was with Moses, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Again, let me pause. This is about doing things differently. Before, they stood at the face of the Red Sea and the waters parted. This is about them stepping into the water. Do you hear the difference? is isn't about standing on the side and waiting for the waters to part. They've been told you shall stand still in the Jordan. This is also about an establishment of Joshua as the, as the new leader, taken over from Moses. Moses led them from, the, uh, from, the camp, from captivity into the wilderness. And Joshua is going to lead them out of wilderness into the promised land. And it may be a different leader, but they're saying it's the same God. Just as God was with Moses, so he is with Joshua. And God says, I want the people to see this. I want them to know that there might be a different face in charge of the people right now, but it's the same God. I am the same yesterday, today and forever. It may be a different way of working. This might work in a different way, but the same power and presence is at work. God is at work in their midst. Well, let's just skip a few verses and read on from verse 13. This is what we read in verse 13. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant for the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the time of harvest. 
The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those flowing down from the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over, uh, passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. You know, this was a different event than the passing through the Red Sea. This was about them seeing the breakthrough as they stepped out in faith. It was about stepping into the Jordan. This Jordan that is in this season, as they said, it overflows its banks. It's so running wild, this water. It's overflowing the banks. There's so much water. This isn't a little trickle or a stream. This is a torrent of water. And as they step into with the Ark of the Covenant, as they put their feet on that, uh, in, into that water, as they step in, then they see the water cut off up Adam, upstream, and the, and the waters are mounded up in a heap, just like they were with the Red Sea. This breakthrough comes after a step of faith, if you take the first step. Well, I had a, a picture in my mind as I was coming back to this sermon and reading this passage and rereading it and, and, and listening to what the Word of God was saying and re-listening to what God was saying six years ago. This mental picture, and I want you to try and picture this yourself. yourself. And it was a picture of a flag, a flagpole. And so just get a mental picture of a flagpole with a flag on the top of that. And this flagpole is being held up by a tripod. You know what a tripod is? It's got three legs. Now, I'm standing there preaching to a camera that's on a tripod. I would show it to you, but then I'm going to move the camera around. But you know what I mean? These three legs that are holding a pole to keep it steady. And this pole is standing up there. At the top of there, there's this flag. And this flag has got this message on it in my mental picture of this that says, take the first step. That's what this flag, this banner that's waving across our church, as God says, this banner that says, take the first step, this encouragement, this exhortation that says, you might not know all the plans. You might not be able to see it all, but you can trust me. The power and the presence of God is with you. Trust me, take the first step. And we won't know all the plans and we never do. You've experienced that in life and we've experienced that as a church and we will continue to experience that, that we don't know all the plans. But we have to step out in faith. And we're meant to. This is the way that God ordained life to be, that we would be people who step out in faith. And I really believe God not only creates that for Christians, that the Christian life would be a step of faith, but I believe it's also something that God has spoken to us as our church through this word. And also you might remember the, um, the church that God is building, that brochure that we've been using or, you know, for a couple of years now that starts to talk about the characteristics of our church, the nature of the oak that we see emerging. And one of those was that we would trust in God for provision, for breakthrough, that that would be who we are, that we would be people who pioneer, people who take steps of faith. And we're meant to be like that because God wants us to rely upon him. God wants us to trust in him. We, we expect to see God move once we move. That's what God is saying, that we would be a people who expect to see God move once we move. 
And as I thought about this idea of taking the first step, I really did step back and thought, well, you know what, Trev? This isn't anything amazing. This is pretty logical. This is, this is, this is the way the world works. You know, you can go to, you know, go on to uh, TED or YouTube and look at any TED talk or any motivational talk that will talk about, you know, taking risks and being a risk taker and, and, and being a pioneer and an entrepreneur. And, 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 you know, you won't know all the details, but you've got to take these steps. You've got to take a risk. You know, in my um, IT world that I, I you know, spend some of my time in each week, you know, there's this world of software development that used to be about big projects where you'd plan everything. And now it's all about what they call iterative. It's about doing little projects and then growing and growing. You know, think about, I don't know, Facebook, if you're a Facebooker. What you see on Facebook now is not what it used to be when it first started. And when they first created the first version of Facebook, they didn't know what it would look like now. They just took a first step. And then they learned from that and then they grew and then they developed more. And so part of me was like, well, I don't even know. Is this a Christian message? Is it, is, it just a, is it just a good talk? Is it just worldly wisdom that says, you've got to take risks, you've got to take a first step. And I've got to tell you, I wouldn't want you to walk away from today just hearing a worldly talk, just a motivational speech that says, you know, take some risks in life, be a pioneer. You know, you won't know all the plans, but you've got to step out. We want a biblical message. We want a Christian message. And that's where this picture of the flag on the, the flagpole comes, because this flag that says, take the first step, it stands on a flagpole that has three legs on the tripod. These three firm foundations upon which this statement, take the first step, rests. And I want to tell you about these three legs, these three foundations, these three things on which this flagpole stands. And they're in this passage we've read today. The first one is that we need times of preparation. Let me read to you from verse, um, verse 1 or part of verse 1 through to verse 3. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people. This story, this passage in the history of Israel, starts with and rests upon this time of preparation. This isn't about just randomly trying stuff. This isn't just like, hey, let's give things a go. As a church, we're just going to try stuff randomly. We're going to be pioneers and risk takers. This is not about jump first and ask God later. This is about seasons and times of preparation where we would be prepared, where we'd be waiting on God. This army, they've arrived at the, um, the, the place where God's going to launch them through across the River Jordan and into Jericho. And instead of just launching through, they have this time of waiting. And I really believe God wants to remind us of this. That this is a discipline. There's a discipline of waiting on God. Waiting upon him. That we would learn from him. That we would listen to him. And uh, I want to be a people of action and people who get stuff done and people who pioneer and do great things. But we need to be a people who wait on God. To really hear the voice of God. And if you're an action-orientated person, that's tough. Waiting is tough. And God has this way in life, is this way of either allowing us to wait on him or making us wait on him. But either way, he says, you're going to wait on me. I want you to seek my face, he says. 
He wants to prepare us. There's a waiting period where God prepares his people for what the next step is. This taking the first step comes out of a foundation of being prepared. And if you've ever seen a chef, you know, cook an amazing meal, you know, often when you're in the restaurant, you just get to see the plate delivered with this amazing food on it. But if you watch the cooking programs or you go backstage into the, into the um, kitchen and you see the chef, what you see is a massive amount of preparation. Massive amount of preparation. Some of the most amazing meals have some amazing preparation. And all that chopping and preparing, even way back to choosing the right ingredients, where they source that from. If they've got to um, marinate something, leave something, just marinate and allowing the flavour to soak in. There is this preparation period. And we live in a, a world and a culture of um, action and season the day and just going for it. And we miss the preparation. If you think about this cooking analogy, it's like the slow cook. We miss the absolute wonder of a meal that's been slow cooked. And God says, sometimes I want to do a slow cook. I want to marinate you. I want you to soak up who I am. I want you to be permeated with my word and what I'm saying and who I am and my character. And I want you to wait on me before you take the first step. You know, we're going to take first steps. As a church, we have, historically we have, and we will continue to take first steps without knowing all the plan, without knowing exactly where it's going to go, being risk takers and pioneers and trying stuff. But we're going to do it because we've waited on God. Because we've waited on God, because we've allowed him to prepare us. We've allowed him to shape us and mould us and fashion us and refine us. It's interesting, I think, I'm not sure what I'm going to share next week. It's starting to emerge in my mind. But if I'm right where I'm going to go next week, I'm going to share a little bit about um, where I think the church is going and where I'm, you know, where God's been leading me. And what I've come to realise is, I think this six years of me being the pastor of the church before we come back into our building may have been all of this, just a time of preparation. A time of preparation of shaping and moulding and character building and refining. And we don't like the preparation. We want to just get on with it. You know, those of you who are frustrated by the building right now, it's like, are we, are we going to decorate yet? When are we going to get stuff up? We're going to, you know, sometimes there's a time of preparation. You know, even with decorating walls, you know, you want to just get on with decorating a wall. There's a, there's a preparation to the surface that needs to be done. God says we are a church that needs to take the first step. But one of the foundations, one of the, the legs on that tripod, one of the, the pillars on which we stand is that we need times of preparation. The second leg in this tripod, this pillar on which we stand, is that we need the presence of God. And we read about this in verse 3. Verse 3, it says, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from the place and follow it. Now, this time of preparation. And he says, but when you see the Ark of the Covenant, this wasn't a story about bold leaders stepping out into the River Jordan. We might think about that, that the priests are going to put their, their feet in the water while it's flowing away and they might get washed away and who knows what's going to happen. They're not seeing the waters part first. It's not. The emphasis is not on the, the leaders stepping their feet into the water. This is about the fact that they are carrying the Ark of the Lord, the presence of God, where his presence and power was displayed. 
You know, the ark is so significant in the Old Testament. It speaks to this presence of God. We don't really grasp fully the, the, the weight of what the ark symbolised and what it meant to the people. If the ark of the covenant wasn't there, they didn't have the presence of God. They didn't win victories. They didn't have God on their side. And those people who had the ark, amazing things happened for good or for ill as God made his presence known. This is such a challenge to us. I really believe I'm personally challenged by this as, as the pastor of the church. I hope our leadership team are challenged by this, but I believe as a church, we should be challenged by this. You know, you are a priest. That's, that's the great thing in the New Covenant. You might read the Levitical priest and go, this is about the pastor or the leaders, but it's not. It's about each of us. We are all priests. We're part of the priesthood of believers. You have been made a priest and God says, I want you to be a presence carrier. Someone who carries the Ark of the Covenant, carries the presence of God on your very shoulders that you carry around. This comes from spending time with God. Again, this time of preparation. So much for me, and I don't know about you, so much for me, I wake up in the morning and I get on with my day and I want to get on with my day and there's a list of things to do and stuff to do. And God says, would you spend time in my presence that you could be a presence carrier? It's a challenge for us. I believe God is renewing this challenge. I listened back to um, this sermon from six years ago and God was saying it then, it was included in my sermon then. Uh, but if I'm honest on reflection, I'm not sure we fully grasped it. It's not just, and this is where the pandemic has been very helpful for us, it's not just about when we gather together and the music's all playing and, uh, you know, we're all lost in the spirit and you feel the goosebumps on the back of your neck and you're like, wow, the presence of God is here. It's not just about that. In actual fact, that's probably the smallest part of it. It's about you and me and us personally being presence carriers. People who have spent time in the presence of God in prayer, in worship, in waiting on him, in listening to him, in reading his word. It's not about a religious ritual. It's about saying, God, would you come and inhabit my very life? Would you take residence within me? Can I carry your presence around? Can I carry the aroma of Christ around with me? And God is saying, if you're going to take the first step, then you need to go with the presence of God. If they'd have stepped into that water without the Ark of the Covenant, let me tell you, nothing would have happened or nothing miraculous. Maybe people would have got washed away in the torrent of water. It's because they went in and took the first step with the presence of God. And so my challenge for you and for me, I tell you, I'm so challenged, is that we would be presence carriers, that we would be people who spend time in the presence of God, that we would get a hunger for God and a thirst for him and a desire to have more of him in our lives, and a desire for us to carry around and not look to the leaders, not look to someone, quote, special, but to realise that we are all the priesthood of believers. And God has a mission and a challenge for us all to step out into the unknown, into the plans that he has for us, plans for good, where everything works together for good, where we don't know it, but we are working in his plan because we have spent time in the presence of God. We need the presence of God. And we're lost without that. Any pioneering activity is lost without that. And I'm pretty sure things that we've tried before, so let me just, I don't want to make a big history, let's just make it in my time, in the last six years that I've been leading the church, things that we've tried that didn't work out and didn't fail, I have to look and go, God, did we spend time in your presence? Did I? Did I wait on you? Did I hear you? And you too, things that have gone in your life that haven't worked out the way you thought they would, 
I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes they don't work out the right way and that's God at work. But so often we don't listen and we don't wait and we don't say, God, I need your presence. Lord, if you don't, you know, Moses said this to, um, to God when they were in the wilderness, when God said, I want you to go here. And God said, if you don't go with us, God, if your presence don't go with us, we're not going anywhere. There's no point. Moses was looking at God, this is pointless if you're not going with us. And God wants us to be a people that says, you know, there is no point in us doing this if God is not with us. There's no point in just trying stuff and being pioneering and adventurous if God is not with us. So we need times of preparation. We need the presence of God. And this three-legged tripod that's holding up this flag that says, take the first step. This third leg is that we need a consecrated people. Verse 5 said this, Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. It's not a word that we use a lot, consecrate. In the Old Testament it comes from the Hebrew word kidash. And when you look at kidash, it's used a lot in the Old Testament. It means, because uh, there's a lot of consecrating in the Old Testament, but it's about rendering holy or set apart, taking something and, and setting it apart for holy purposes, to purge of ritual impurities. It's about, it's used when it talks about providing the evidence of holiness. It's used in this word kidash, this word consecrate, is about being consecrated to God for a particular purpose. And if you listened last week to the message, I spoke about how grace, grace is not against effort, it's against earning. And we cheapen grace when we look and go, God, God's done it all. He's done it all and he's cleansed me and I'm purified and there's nothing else that's needed. Because there are definitely parts of God's word where he says, like I said last week, if you will, then I will. And so we mustn't understand, misunderstand grace. And I love the way this passage puts it, these instructions. It says, consecrate yourself for tomorrow. You know, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders. For, it's fascinating. He says, look, we're going to consecrate, consecrate ourselves today because tomorrow God's going to do something amazing. And it's not a, um, it's not an earning. It's not a, you know, so that. Imagine this would read differently. Consecrate yourself so that tomorrow God will do wonders. It's not a so that. It's a for. It's, an, it's a response now for a future that we know that God is going to do. It's like a gratefulness in advance. It's a thing that says God's going to do amazing things in our future. So for today, now before we see that we're going to consecrate ourselves. We have that big sign on the front of the church in all the redecorating. We haven't taken it down. It's still there. No perfect people allowed we come into our building we come into our relationship and into our church and into our gatherings with a recognition that we are not perfect but God says don't stay that way don't stay as you are come as you are but don't stay as you are and the word of God is full of this now and not yet so many times in the word of God there's the now and not yet and what it means is there's something that's been established and rooted and grounded now, and there's also the same thing that's being accomplished and achieved over time. It's like this cosmic thing of God where God says, I see the end from the beginning. And so he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, you're sanctified, you're made holy. You're made right before me. When you come to Jesus and you give your life to him, you are made sanctified like that. 
but we're also being sanctified. We're also being cleansed. We're also being consecrated. We are holy and we're being made holy. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and we're being made righteous. We have these two different things going on. God does something instantaneously now, but not yet. And so we hold on to it and we grasp it and say, I know that I have been consecrated. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. He has forgiven all of my sins. But also he is cleansing me. Also he is refining me. Also he is changing me. And so you are consecrated and you are being consecrated. For the children of Israel, when he said consecrate yourself, it was a ritual cleansing that they had to do. For us, we've received the blood of Jesus cleansed us, but you know we take communion regularly. We repent regularly. We pray regularly because we want to come before God and say, God, would you consecrate me? Not because I'm dirty, because you've washed me clean, but I want to be a consecrated person. And God is calling us to be a consecrated people. You know, the, the, the evidence, the sign to the world around us is that we're a church that imperfect people can come and be a part of and their lives are changed their lives are transformed they're not the same and that change is a continual work of God I am not the person I was 10 years ago but God is still continuing to change me and challenge me and consecrate me and refine me and God wants to do that in your life too he wants us to be a people who are set apart for a purpose we're not living an ordinary life we're not living like the world lives. We are set apart. We are holy. We are consecrated. And God says, if you're going to take the first step as a church or as an individual to step into what God has for you and for what God has us for us as a church, he says, consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself. So I want you to imagine this, this tripod, this, this flagpole, as I said. Imagine this flagpole stand there with a flag at the top that says take the first step that is a banner over our church where god continues to say church the oak community church you won't know everything you won't know all the plans you won't see the end from the beginning i've got the plans but take the first step and as we see that banner that flag waving with those words take the first step look down the tripod look down the pole and see the three legs it stands on make that our language Maybe, maybe that's language that we can use in our church when we don't know what's happening yet, but we're going to take the first step. But we know the foundation upon which it stands. We, yes, this church that God is building, Doctor, I said in there that we are a church that is faith-filled, or sorry, we are a church that is a faith-filled, adventurous experiment. We'll try stuff. In faith, we'll try stuff and we'll see where God is. But it stands on these three legs that we want times of preparation, waiting on God, that we want God's presence, we want to hunger and thirst after his presence to be with us. If God is not with us, then there's no point doing it. And we want to be a consecrated people, people set apart, not only positionally consecrated, that God says, I've consecrated you, I've made you holy, but that we say, God, would you continue to refine my life? May the outside of me better reflect the inner work you've done within my life, Lord. When I preached this message in 2015, I spent most of the time talking about Joshua 3. But I also reflected on another story of someone who took the first step. In Joshua 3, we have this story about water. We have this story about the, uh, the Levitical priests stepping into the water and putting their feet into the water and seeing the water part. 
And there's a story that we know probably very well in the New Testament with Jesus and Peter. With Peter stepping out of the boat, taking the first step and stepping onto the water. I want to read to you this passage from Matthew chapter 14, 22 to 33. Sorry, 23 to 33. It says this. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountains by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You know, I said this six years ago, and I'll say it again. Success is not guaranteed. We may take the first step into things and fall flat on our face. We may sink in the water like Peter did. But God never lets us down, and he never lets us drown. And so as a wrap up today, I think about this, you know, that we should take the first steps because you can't lose. You can't lose. It's, <laughs> the reality is we're not doing this alone. We're doing it with God and, and we make mistakes. I don't want to make the bar so high that, you know, we've, oh, have we prepared enough and, and is God's presence with us enough and are we holy enough? And are we, No, they are a foundation. But the, the knowledge is that just like Peter, you know, when we sink, when we take a step and we get it wrong and we start to drown, God has got hold of us. You know, I think when I look at this story, I think, you know, Jesus is prepared. This starts with Jesus being, taking him time out by himself, spending time with God. Jesus was prepared before he walked on the water. He was definitely the presence. He carried the presence of God. He was the presence of God and he was definitely consecrated. He lived this sinless life. And so he walked on the water. Jesus fulfilled these very things. But Peter wasn't. Peter wasn't prepared. He didn't have the presence of God. <laughs> he definitely wasn't consecrated. But even though he failed, Jesus got hold of him. Jesus rescues him. God is looking for faith. God is looking for steps of obedience and a willingness to try. And he says, you know, I'm with you. And so, you know, as we take the first step, as we take the first step in whatever God has called us to as a church and whatever he's called you to do, we're going to be a people who uh, want to spend time in God's presence and being prepared and, and, and letting our lives be more reflecting of Jesus. But we're going to also take a first step knowing that if we get it wrong and we sink, Jesus is holding us and he is walking on the water and he is not going to let us drown or let us down. He's got us. He's got you. So we can step out boldly into whatever God has for us. 
And as I said, I really believe God wanted us to remember these three words because as we gather back together into the building and I think have a sense of, a, of another chapter in the life of our church and what God wants to propel us into, that we know that he has the plan and we don't know it all, but we're going to take steps of faith out of our time of preparation, out of our time of asking God's presence to fill our lives and out of our times of saying, God, make me more like you. We will take the first step. Amen.